Hey beauties, before we dive into this episode, I want to remind you that there's an Amplify Her Networking Group meeting today, Wednesday, June 21st, if you're listening to this today, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Amplify Her Networking Group is committed to community and helping women build community as well as make more money. It is the biggest joy of my life other than this show. Um, And it is, and obviously my son and my baby, all my, you know, the normal things, but it is just the best. Um, I would love, love, love to have you join today's meeting. If you're able, head to amplifyhermedia.com backslash networking to register. Your first meeting is free. Can't wait to see you today at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bye. Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am your host, Christina Singh, and the Amplify Her podcast is all about amplifying and uplifting women's voices and stories. I am just so thrilled to be back with another interview today. Um, Gosh, I just love talking to women about their stories, about their work, who they are, amplifying those voices. That's so cheesy, but I really, (laughs) I really do love it. And today's episode is so special. Um, If you are a longtime listener of the show, you know, I talk about parenting all the time. I talk about um, the, you know, unfair distribution of labor and domestic labor between men and women. Um, There are lots of studies to back up the fact that it is unbalanced and unfair. Um, And I talk about ways to improve on those things. And today's guest is just so phenomenal and uh, talks about all of the above with her work and has helped me so much. And I am just so thrilled to be welcoming Mary Van Geffen to the show. Holy moly, what a powerhouse. So if you don't know Mary, she's an international, international baby, international parenting coach. Um, And she helps people who are uh, super competent, but really overwhelmed by motherhood um, to lean into the, the discipline of staying calm and um, staying warm and cultivating tenderness. And the thing that Mary really focuses on around parenthood is parenting spicy ones. Um, And so you will see and hear us talk about spicy children and spicy ones and being spicy and parenting people who are spicy. Um, And you'll hear about that quite a bit. So don't worry. I think the first question I asked Mary during this interview was, what do you mean by um, being spicy? And I can just say, well, I was having this conversation. I was, I felt like I was also healing and very seen and very heard um, Mary's experience and her own reflection on her you know, what she had 
when she was young and what she didn't have and what she'd like to pass down and what she wouldn't like to pass down to her children and help other parents recognize in in their lives has been just so helpful in this in just this you know brief interview that we had so i i know that you're gonna love this interview um and even if you don't have children i think you're gonna love this interview because it really is about regulating ourselves and figuring out who we are and how to best navigate in the world as the best version of ourselves. You can find Mary at her website, maryvangeffen.com. I will link it in the show notes for you. Um, and if you want to work with her, head there. She's fantastic. Enjoy this wonderful conversation with Mary. And if you're able to join today's Amplify Her Networking Group, fantastic. If not, I will see you at the next one in July. All right, let's dive into it with Mary. Mary, welcome to the Amplify Her podcast. I am so thrilled to have you. Me too. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. I found you online. You're very active on Instagram and I found some of your videos and then I uh, interviewed Laura Danger on my show and saw that you um, were interviewed by her and Crystal Britt. And I was like, oh, Per world's colliding. I need to reach out to this person. And I'm just so thrilled that you're sitting down with me today to chat about your work, um, your incredibly important work around parenting, helping um, people navigate parenting. So thank you so much. And I'm going to start right away because you talk about parenting spicy ones. What can you define for people who might not know is a spicy one? What does oh that my mean? Gosh. A spicy one. Well, first off, I am the poster child for it. Um, but the, a spicy one is somebody who um, is intense and inflexible, feels things super passionately, isn't afraid to negotiate with adults as a child who um, pushes and pushes and then just melts down when they don't finally get what they thought they were going to get. They grieve big. They love hard. Um, they can't necessarily be consoled with a hug like some of the other children. Um, they, they're they louder and um, kind of a lot. And they tend to break things by accident. Uh, they are just, they seem a little otherworldly and that they're, and so a lot of the things that the typical parenting suggestions like, oh, ask you should ask them not to do that. That doesn't work with this one. They have an internal locus of control that says, I will be the master of my own domain way earlier than other children do. And I also think they're, they're highly sensitive beings and sort of empaths. And so it's just, it's exhausting to parent them and they're going to be the world changers when they get older. Yeah. Oh, I mean, just that description alone, I can relate to as for, for little me and mm -hmm. for my little son that I'm raising. And it's already talking to you, such a relief to hear that and to, to hear you describe um, people in this way. Now, how did you start this work? What drew you to start talking to people online and building what drew services. me to it was my complete ineptitude <laughs> at doing it myself. Mm. So when I started 
when I had right around a four and a two-year-old, I found myself so out of my depths and unable to be the parent I wanted to be. Like I, I could see the vision of how I wanted to be. It was a lot like the preschool teachers that I was coming into contact with, with a sweet voice and patience and hello, my friends. Like I wanted to be that person, but instead I was yelling. I was pinching. I was um, grabbing hands a little tighter than I should. And um, I was overstimulated and I didn't necessarily like my spicy one, the the mm. the one of the two of my children that is more intense, more um, more like me. And so, hitting that wall and being like, "Whoa, this isn't common sense." I I can't think my way out of this, and I can read some books, but people aren't addressing this type of child, and they're also not addressing my whole backstory because I'm just here about to reinvent the very same wheel my mother was on, right? Right, um, and. And I had done therapy in in my twenties and thirties. Well, I guess I had kids at thirty three, but I I had done therapy and thought, oh, I've done that. I worked through that stuff. But it, a whole new bag of tricks opens up when you're parenting. So I just started being honest on Instagram about and 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 there was that's not entirely true, right? Like I, there was a time period where I was doing this work in private because mm-hmm. Instagram didn't exist yet, and so the first five years of my transformation, I'm taking every class under the sun. I'm in therapy. I've moved from trying to diagnose my child as having um, something wrong with her to looking within myself to see like, what makes this so hard? Why does, why do her feelings and her opinions feel so hard to tolerate? Like what, what is really here and kind of um, pushing into that story. And uh, so yeah, that's how I got started. Is it is the person didn't exist that I needed? I wanted somebody to come mm-hmm. like observe her on the um, on the playground and then report back as to what psycho um patterns they were seeing. That person doesn't exist unless you're like super wealthy, I guess. And you and you and so there's no one that could really tell me is it me or them, me right. or her. I couldn't. I couldn't. It was cloudy, right? So finally, when I got my bearings, I wanted to be able to help help other people sort of shortchange that process. And I will get people in my Moms of Spicy course, which is like an eight-week group program, Mm -hmm. who start off with like wanting me to tell them it's it's the kid. The kid is the problem, right? Oh, interesting. Um, Let's spend time really like talking about what's wrong with this kid. And so often a big part of the equation is that mom either is spicy and hasn't really acknowledged or honored that part, or mom was not comforted as a child, was not given the space to have big feelings or to be spicy. And so all this stuff is coming up when this child who will not be tamed comes into the picture. Right. Complicated little web. (laughs) I think that can't be tamed is really so interesting because there is this, um, I feel, misconception around um, what is acceptable with children and letting your child be wild and free and angry and show their anger in full force is often seen as too much and needs to be tamed. And I I have a hard time letting that fully happen in public. Um, and 
worrying about what other people will think, to be honest, of me. Sure. And it can be really cultural depending on the background you come from. I'm I'm thinking I'm just about to go uh, on a trip to Italy. And Mm. in Italy, they're kind of known, and this is probably a stereotype, for like gesticulating, moving their hands around big while they're talking, totally normal, right? Mm -hmm. If if you bring them into this sort of like... um, I don't know, a, a more uh, American experience that all that moving around feels like, oh, do they not have control of themselves? Right. And it's it's totally like a like a made up constraint. So this idea that children should be seen and not heard, that is just made up. It's culture. We can reinvent that and we can grow our our ability to like handle another person's upset, especially when they feel we we contributed to that upset, but it, it, you have to sort of break down your self-concept to do that. Right. And I also think you have to understand just fully who you are, like you were saying, and how you emotionally react to the world around you and how your mother, like you were saying, would emotionally react to you and the world around you. Um, when you were going through this process of understanding, you know, who you were and how you were reacting as a parent and and taking like really wonderful, beautiful responsibility. It sounds like what did you learn about your own upbringing and, and how you wanted to, how, how you could relate to that and how maybe you wanted to switch things up for, for your children. I think a lot of it was like the role I played, like as a listener could do this too, where you think about like, if somebody were to ask, what kind of kid were you like? if they were to ask your parents, what, what would they say? And mine would have said, and and maybe they wouldn't say this anymore, but at the time it was like, oh, you are so bossy. You're too much. Oh, not again. You're upset again. You're so sensitive. Oh, you're so dramatic. Um, you don't finish anything. You start. There was a lot of, um, the, 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 you know, a parent's words to their child becomes their own self-talk. So I was going into parenting, believing that I was too much dramatic, bossy, um, too loud, whatever. And now I'm having this child and all those words just that are right there for me to grab and to notice that, yes, that is what this child's like. So I'm just like unconsciously beginning this whole process. So learning that, that how my parents saw me or see me does not need to be how I see me. And it doesn't, it doesn't define who I am, how somebody else sees me. So that, and, and I grew up with, um, parents who had substance abuse, um, problems. And so there's also sort of like how you behave when you feel like the adults in charge are kind of receding away from you, you kind of amp up things. If you're spicy, like, do you see me here? Am I, do I matter? Um, and so there was a lot of forgiving myself for some of the ways I was that weren't liked. And then there was also being somebody with ADHD, forgiving myself for a lot of the impulsive, risky things I did as a um, young teenager and um, bringing compassion to that. Like, oh, it would have been really nice right. for someone to shepherd you during that time or or to not slut shame you or whatever happened, you know, Um Yeah. Does that answer your question? 100%. I mean, I think you're talking a lot about inner child work and um, 
looking at little Mary and the resources that she had versus didn't have. And, and I think that I personally have done a lot of that work and can relate to so much of what you're saying. And when I had my son, it was so quick that I recognized how similar he was to me when, when he was so outgoing and so charismatic and, um, but so emotional and can flip on a, on a dime. My son is nearly three and he is in the stage of, I am an adult. <laughs> like, no. and, Hello. And yes. And, and it's been such a lesson on, oh, I was, I remember being this confident mm, and yes. I remember also not having people who knew how to deal with that around me yeah, and who and weren't think, regulating. Yes. Regulating. And I think as, as we are on this journey to, um, to kind of become the parent we needed, we, on some level have to betray our own parent. So it's, it's some like hero's journey work because you might have a mom who's like, are you going to let him get away with that? And you might have a longer view now of like, yeah, I am. He's three. And I don't take the, the off gassing of a three-year-old personally. I can stay calm and kind and, and firm in that process. And I think our parents suffered from believing that discipline had to be done angry and Mm we don't have to be angry when we're setting limits. Oh, that's so gorgeous. And I just, I would love to talk to you about that self-regulation and that piece around, you know, what you're teaching and, and giving people the permission to not discipline with anger and to not be stern. What have you learned and what are you now currently teaching others? Mm. What have I learned? Well, um, I guess I've learned that so much of getting calm is about your body, not necessarily your thinking. Although the the thoughts will make you very uncalm. Like there's nothing like saying to yourself over and over again, I'm screwing this up or this is a bad kid. Those thoughts will totally amp up all your biometrics and make it harder to self-regulate. But I... Um, I guess I, I'm making a lot more space for the fact that to, to get calm is like a, a physical thing that requires movement. Like we need to move our body. Um, we like, I'm just obsessed with dance as a way to calm down, but what's funny is like, you don't want to dance in the moment. You want to rage. You want to, um, you want to live in the negative thoughts you have, but I'm learning more and more that it's so important to have your own calm down recipe that relates to how your body's wired. And I teach all this in my calm class, um, which we'll, we can put a link in the show notes, but there's, there's a whole, um, a whole different way that each body finds its calm. And it's not simple enough to like, Hey, calm down. It's obviously there's gotta be um, a, a bigger pause, as much as we can expand the time between the thing that happened and our response, that's where all the um, choices. So we're all yes. just trying to pause and unclench because generally when the bad things happen, when the, when we're out of control or we're unregulated or we do things we're sorry for, 
in that moment, we were clenched. We weren't breathing. Breathing's huge in getting to calm. We were clenched and we just lost sight of the fact that nothing's an emergency. So rarely is it, but our body doesn't know that. Our body is screaming, make it stop, make it stop right now. And so um, we're operating like speed is important in parenting and it is not. Right. I mean, it is so, and also it, that really goes back to what you were saying around nearly betraying your own parent or their style of parenting. And um, because of that style, a lot of what we're taught is to be very reactive, to have an immediate reaction when a child is doing something that can be seen as um maybe crossing a boundary in some way or, you know, acting naughty, whatever it is out of, out of turn, I guess I would say, but what you're saying is so gorgeous. Um, Take a pause, take a breath. Um, Now, when you are teaching people and you're seeing this in action, like you mentioned your course, what, what do you see people really struggling with when they're putting this in action and then what are the, what's the outcome that you're seeing as well? Well, I'm seeing, um, first off, you never saw it modeled. So self-regulation is kind of a misnomer because we don't do it ourselves. We learn it in community. We, we learn it from being next to another nervous system that's staying calm. And so we go all erratic and we go, oh, wow we don't even notice it. I think it's subconscious, right? That our nervous system begins to get in line with that other person. Our heartbeats begin to find a, a common ground. And so that's why it's so amazing when you can find a friend or a, a loved one that has a calm demeanor and a presence. And so I think if you're trying to be calm, but you never experienced it, oh my gosh, give yourself so much compassion because this isn't something we can think our way into like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to be calm today. It, it's a, it's like, I mean, it's like any practice, right? We, we can't immediately know how to do yoga. We can't immediately know how to bake a cake. We have to practice it. And it really helps to see someone else do it and to experience them doing it. So sharing physical space with somebody who is able to stay calm and experiencing that, even if you're watching them parent and it's like, wow, I would have totally yelled. She didn't yell. She got down and she actually got quieter and look what happened. And just like viscerally feeling what it feels like to be with someone calm so that you, you can begin just to teach your nervous system what safety feels like. Like that's just like the very first step and and give your what i find a lot of moms doing is like i want to be warmer and kinder to this kid and and tell me the six steps to do that and through conversation it becomes really obvious that they're not very warm or kind to themselves like the internal oh, voice yes. is like you just did a amen Snap. um, <laughs> snapped at me and i liked it yeah it it's if you really all it takes is like it when the first 5 seconds of a conversation Five minutes, let's be honest. The first five minutes I can tell because they keep coming back to, yeah, I just I screw it, I screw the whole thing up, or I don't know what I'm doing, or I just need you to tell me what I'm doing wrong, or I'm I'm messing, I'm really worried I'm messing everything up. And the language just points to such high stakes 
and such high judgment of self. And when we are saying um, these kind of mean judgmental things about ourselves, we can't do that and then turn and be like, and now I'm going to bring warmth and sunshine to my child. The way you talk to yourself is the way you talk to your child. And the way you talk to your child eventually becomes the way they talk to themselves. It's this nasty little circle that just keeps right. going. So we get to break the circle by saying, hold on. I just told myself, what a fucking idiot. Hmm. Is that how I want to talk to myself? Like, what would, the, would I want to be around someone who spoke that way to me? How about, wow, you're really struggling. It's hard for you when he screams at full volume. Do you need to, do you need to separate yourself? You need to move away? Or do you want to go put toilet paper in your ears? Like what would feel good right now, sweetie? This is you talking to you. Um, if, if you're not there yet, then don't be so hard on yourself. You can't do it for your kid because it's, it's sort of an outgrowth of beginning to talk to yourself that way. Yeah, 100%. And I, this is also making me think, um, do you primarily work with, with mothers, um, through your work? And if so, you know, what is your hope in potentially working with more fathers or vice versa? Who is like, uh, you're, you're stepping right into the, um, the, I don't know, the inflammatory area, just like a good <laughs> spicy one should. I, I just have so much heart for moms yeah. and I have a lived experience as a mom. So people will say, oh, you know, my partner or my husband wants to, and it's like, yes, bring him along, but I'm going to talk directly to moms because it's moms that have the load of society on their back and who are judging themselves and who are held to such a higher expectation. I mean, you've seen those maybe you can link them those gorgeous like cartoons that this one artist does where it's like dad um on the phone pushing his child oh look at a dad spending time with his um young child mom doing that look at that woman she's not present at all like we are just kept to such a different standard that i want to, and and most of the pleasers in the world the people who put other people's needs over their own happen to be biologically female or, or, or assigned female at birth. And they're just given these messages over and over again, like, have you tended to everyone else? And so that's the person that I feel most called to help. Um, and I think like, sometimes I'll work with dads directly and dang, there's a lot of ego to work through. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And I'm not talking, maybe, maybe you're listening and you're like, no, not my husband. He's so down for it. Awesome but I'm really more here to equip the moms, but that's such an interesting question. Why do you ask? Just because I think that there can be dynamics in relationships where around parenting, you really want to get it right. You really want to do the right thing. And we all do not know what we're doing when it comes down to it. It's, we're all figuring it out. And I think, you know, from what I have seen in my own relationship, my community, with he hearing and talking to people on the show or seeing online, um, there is a lot of pressure for men to be more stern, to set rules, to have it be my way. Um, and I think what you're teaching is a lot more flexible and would be really beneficial for fathers and men. And just based on yeah. all of these stereotypes around our patriarchy. In our society patriarchy and the fact that those men were once little boys exactly who were to stiffen up you know get strong so the world doesn't um break you down and i love that we're seeing a turn i mean 
it's amazing how much we're letting little boys feel their feelings just like little girls. And um, yeah. And yes, there is a need. I, I've kind of have this idea that I want to gather um, couples like once, once a quarter for really for the disbelieving dad, who's like, what is this gentle parenting stuff? <laughs> like you're, cause generally the person that comes to me, their co-parent already thinks they're too lenient. And so Oh, that's my husband to a T <laughs> every day. I'm like, no, <laughs> but he's yeah. wonderful. But it's also like, I, yeah. you're totally describing. A, oh yeah. And I yeah. think we know that feeling of like, Ooh, watching your um, spouse, if they're male being too harsh and wanting to step in, but also wanting to be respectful. And it's a whole kind of minefield there. Um, and I will say that the greatest change you make in a family is just by you being different. And so if someone's like, yeah, I could do all this gentle stuff, but you know, my spouse, my partner is going to bomb that. It, it's okay. One person changing in a family system changes the entire family system. Oh, I totally agree. And having those conversations, just talking about it. I mean, just saying what your intent is behind that one particular moment, um, I found has been super helpful in conversations where I would have approached something differently than my mm -hmm. husband did um, or my mom or my dad, you know, just other people who are doing things in a different way. So I really appreciate you saying that. And I think that's very powerful. Um, and I think your work with moms and, and that recognition of motherhood and the inequity of domestic labor and unseen labor and paid labor is really, really important to acknowledge in this work. Um, and it's making me think about, you know, another topic that you discuss a lot, which is um, strong, sensible limits. And I'm curious how that shows up or how, how that became integrated into your work and how that shows up Um with, with your clients, strong, sensible limits. Let's see. You're probably talking about my firm class. Um, what I found is a lot of people that are drawn most to gentle parenting can go like any pendulum. It swings all the way to the other side. And suddenly we're terrified of upsetting our child and we're walking on eggshells and, um, we're kind of creating a little tyrant on some level because we think we're being kind by not um, letting them experience the upset of hitting a limit. And um, so I needed to help that person who's almost beginning to create a child-led home. And I don't believe in that. Child-centered, yes. Like what's it like to be a kid in this home? And what does a person brand new to the planet need? But not child-led. You are still the leader of this family and it's okay to have um, a disproportionate amount of power as the leader um, that begins to shift as your child ages. Like your parenting needs to transition when you get to the tween years, but um, knowing what's important to you and your values and setting limits and then having that inner parental resolve and confidence that what you say is what's going to happen, even though your child may grieve those limits, they're allowed to grieve. That's their job. Right. But I, I guess I want to make clear that gentle parenting does not mean that there aren't boundaries and limits that you set. And then you follow through, even though there's discomfort for all involved. I love that so much. And I think that 
really ties in a lot with the misconceptions around, you know, what you were just talking about with gentle parenting and that there are no boundaries and kids can just do whatever they want. Are there other misconceptions that you've run into with your work that you've like really had to smash and, and you're trying to have people really understand the the truth? What are they? (laughs) Here's one. Um, People want to do gentle parenting, but they still want their secret little first time compliance and first time compliance and gentle, respectful parenting don't work together. It's kind of one or the other. You can either have a really connected relationship where you talk things out, you've got rhythms and um, you're a cooperative family, or you can have this first time compliance. You do what I say when I say to do it. And that shuts down parts of your child. It shuts down access to a longer term relationship. Um, And it's a cost. And that is one of the costs of gentle parenting that makes it, it's so not the easier route. It is way less efficient. It is um, a pain in the butt to constantly be thinking, how is this impacting someone? And um, wow, okay, we've got some emotions here to work through. Um, No, you may not do that. Um, But what I find is sometimes people will be like, yes, help me with gentle parenting. And then I told him not to do it and he still did it. Oh yeah. Welcome to human development. Right. Like welcome to someone expressing their needs. And, you know, it's so funny because with my son, we are very much, just two weeks ago, we heard our first, because you won't listen to me. And it's, and now he he's mommy, you have to listen to me. And it's been so fun, hard, but fun to navigate this particular piece because I've been very much like, I definitely am listening to you. Like, what do you need? Okay. Well, this is the boundary. This is what we've set in our house about what you can and can't do. Um, are you, are you listening to that? Do you hear that with your ears or like, you know, just little things like that as we're moving forward. And I think, you know, growing up, I would have been very much dismissed. And I think a lot of kids would have been dismissed right away as like, what I say goes like, this is the rule, you know, you listen to me like that. These are the rules. Obviously he got that language from me saying you need to listen to me, but I think it's important to, to really reflect on it. And it's been challenging, but I really like it at the same time. Oh, it's amazing that you have such a good perspective on it. Like this is a science experiment. This is like a, (laughs) this is an art. We don't know what we're doing, but new information comes in. And I will say, it sounds like he found a power phrase and the spicy one loves when they find a phrase and they watch you wince or (laughs) your eyes get really big. And I bet the idea that he would not feel listened to kind of hurts your heart, right? So he found that phrase. It doesn't mean he... I mean, it's a negotiation ploy and he really wants you to do what he's asking is what he's really mm-hmm. saying. But I love that he might have noticed from some of the cues <laughs> of your body that he found the jackpot. And so he's going to use it a few times and and then you kind of have to treat it as more of a neutral phrase rather than this like soul's heart to be listened to, a soul's call to be listened to. Yeah. I mean, it's, coming from a two-year-old, it's it was a very wild experience wow. when that happened. And I mean, it happened right before bedtime. He never, you know, he doesn't want to go to bed. And so my husband and I actually just like burst out laughing because we couldn't even believe he had just said something like that. And I think those moments 
it's there. It's really challenging, as you very well know, but it's so wonderful to see the evolution of this person and have them step into their power. And I'm curious, you know, since you've been doing this work, have you felt more powerful? Have you stepped into more of your power? Like, how has your personal evolution been? Hmm, that's interesting because on one level, it's the opposite. I, I have less power than say a friend who's like, I, I, I'm nipping this in the bud or I said no. Right. So, um, but yeah, I do feel, I am not somebody who struggled with boundaries when I was little. Um, and, and I have this protective stance for that person who, who's also parent maybe overstepped their body boundaries or go ahead and hug uncle Charlie or, um, um, give me, give me a hug or whatever. I I've always been able to say, I don't, uh -uh, I don't want that, you know? Um, and I think my, um, mom did a good job of, um, enabling that. So I don't, I'm not sure that I have a journey to more power. My journey is almost the opposite of more sensitivity, more tenderness. Like I'm working on how can I be the one who's vulnerable or needs help or is sad around other people? Cause I tend to be the one who swoops in, who's the hero. And so I'm working on softening and being more open to not having it all together. Oh, I really love that. And if I know we're nearly at our time. And so I would love to ask you, you know, obviously your journey of uh, identifying yourself and, and seeing your spicy uh, personality traits and seeing that in your children seems like it's been quite an evolution for people who are maybe just discovering this in themselves or in their children. What are some things that really helped you initially when you were feeling really overwhelmed um, as like some really tangible first steps that you took or you would recommend people take now? Yeah. And you're saying if they've just come to, to gentle parenting or to noticing that there's some generational wounding, what, what, where are they? Do you think this, this imagined person on the path? Yeah, I think um, they are seeing a child very similar to them and realizing, oh, I had a lot of these traits or I have a lot of these traits. How am I going to navigate this person that's triggering me in all of these ways mm -hmm. right now? Beautiful. Well, number one, and this comes from the work of Dan Siegel, is getting clear on what it was like for you to be little, because we can't leapfrog over that. And um, the thing that they have found is cl most closely tied to whether or not sort of toxic behaviors are carried on to the next generation is whether or not someone can tell a coherent tale about what it was like to be little. So if someone's saying, you know what? I was a real terror. And now there's, you haven't really clued into empathy for little you. So I would tell them, I literally want you to sit down and journal. What was it like to be little? How, how are you talked to? How are you comforted? Um, what, what was your reputation or role? And what did that, what did that feel like? What, did, what was it like? And just listen to yourself, write it out, write it out, write it out. And then maybe get brave enough to share that with another human being and watch their face as you describe it. Um, you know, some, somebody safe who who has who's well-versed in empathy and reflective listening. But I think getting at what happened to us is the first step and, and how 
we were treated because now we're raising the same person. We might want to also ask ourselves, what, how would I like to have been treated? That is like such an obvious question, but we'd forget it. Like I'll have somebody say like, you know, this kid is, is, is really struggling in class and kicked over something. And now the teacher's mad at them. What should I say to them? And I always ask if that were you and you were 10 and you had done this public thing and you knew how much you're teacher kind of disliked you, what would you want your parent to do? And so it's not about what do I need to do? So society knows I'm a good mom because that's where our default goes or my inner judge will get off my back and say, I'm doing my job, right? It's what would I have wanted as a child? What would have contributed to my safety, mental health, self-esteem? And that is the gift we can give this child in front of us. Yeah. Oh, that's so gorgeous. And thank you for sharing that. Where can people find you if they want to work with you? They can find me on Instagram. I'm giving free <laughs> stuff every day. And then they can, if if you really want a community alongside you, you can think about joining Moms of Spicy Ones that happens in the fall and the spring. It's an eight-week group program. And we just get into all this in a systematic week-by-week way um, so that you're not doing this alone. Yeah. Mary, thank you so much for your time today and for your energy and expertise and for sharing so much. I really just am so grateful that you were here today. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And if you're listening to this, never forget that your story matters and your voice matters. And I will see you on the next episode of the Amplify Her podcast. Bye everyone. I am so grateful that you've listened to this episode of the Amplify Her podcast. If you're listening to this and you don't follow the show, one thing that would help the show tremendously is if you open that Apple app, if you're listening to it on Apple, click on the title of the show and on the top right hand corner, click that plus sign so you don't miss an episode. Not only does it help me to grow this show, but it helps you to be in the loop when episodes drop every Wednesday and every Friday. If you're listening to this show on Spotify, click on the show title of this episode to take you to the full listing of them and click follow. That way you won't miss a new episode as it comes out. For more information about the Amplify Her podcast, Amplify Her media, and the Amplify Her networking group, head to www.amplifyhermedia.com.